equity is not something that you add in. It's the filter through which you need to make decisions. It's time that we all put our heads together and see how we can serve the people who have not had attention paid to them. And how can we work together to make sure that this is not just an inflection point, it is the way of life. Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to The Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. In today's conversation, I welcome a leading expert in human-centered design, Gayathri Unikristian. She's dedicated to putting people back at the center of organizations, design, and policy, and the physical and mental damage of an unhealthy workplace and what that can cause. With a background in engineering, design, and corporate innovation, she has made a significant impact in the building industry, which is near and dear to my heart, You, all my listeners, you know this, because she's the co-author of the widely adopted Wellbeing Standard, which, which is very important because it's a game changer, quite frankly, in the built environment of today. She's also instructed at the prestigious institutions like Pratt and also Parsons School of Design. And recently, she is the past vice president of the standard of development at IWBI. So obviously, I could go on for, for hours about Gayathri, but let me welcome her first. Gayathri, welcome to the show. Hi. I am so excited to be here, Fran. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. I cannot wait to dive into our juicy conversation. Well, I can't either. As as I've told you, we've been chatting before I hit go and record because there's so much to unpack. I think you have touched so many lives. You've touched so many environments, so many industries. So the world is wide open and so is this conversation. So I think about what you've been able to accomplish in your six short years at IWBI. You're coming off an amazing year, which is truly championing what you've been able to do. So you and your team successfully launched this well equity rating standard, which is a true game changer when we think about what's going on with DEI and ESG models across the board in the corporate environment, because it's an action-oriented approach to creating equitable people-first places. Now, let me unpack that for our audience. So if you're not familiar with the well-being standard, it's about being in a built environment. We spend 90% of our lives in a built environment. So either if you're at home or you're working in an office, you're still in a built environment and 90% of your life is built in a built environment. But what this rating standard that um, Gayathri and her team were responsible for, just one of the many, is it provides 40 features that span six different areas around uh, DEI. So specifically user experience, responsible hiring and labor practices, inclusive design, health benefits, services, supportive programs and spaces, and community engagement, which is so robust and so amazing. So it gives actionable steps when it comes to DEI, along with how you're really 
setting up the framework for how people live and work in a built environment. So with all of that, Gayathri, obviously, you know your work and you know it well. I'm so curious from your perspective, what do you think the next big opportunity or inflection point is going to be when it comes to the built environment? I think we're there. I think you touched upon it. Um, Equities continues to be something that the built environment, I would say, needs to catch up on. Um, what I continue to notice is um, a simple thing like daylight. How many people in a building have access to daylight? What are their titles? Does the facility manager or the janitor have um, offices or have rooms where they can access daylight? It's such a simple thing. It's such a small thing. And equity, I think, is at the core of that. Equity needs, it needs to be not an afterthought. It's not something that you add in. It's the filter through which you need to make decisions. People need to make decisions. So when we first started working on the equity rating, and firstly, um, I got to partner with these amazing women, Dr. Angie Scott and Kimberly Lewis, who are both women of color. It was the first time I was working in a project in my entire career with two women of color. It was, it was just just the most amazing experience. But we started interviewing people. We started talking to people, hundreds and hundreds of people. And what we realized is it's not often the big things. It's the small things that matter. It's it's being able to choose where you're sitting. It's being able to say that you're going to be late at work because you couldn't get the bus in and there is no other mode of transportation. It's these small things that matter Right. And it is. um, And I think the inflection point has started. It's not here yet. I think we have a ways to go as an industry, as a community before we can say, okay, you know, we are we are in a good place with equity. Let's kind of move on. Um, I don't I honestly don't think we should ever be in a good place with equity. We can always improve. But the inflection point that you mentioned is here. It's time that we all kind of put our heads together and see how we can serve the people who have not had attention paid to them um, across the world. How can we do that? And how can we work together to make sure that this is not just an inflection point? It is the, it is the way of life. It is our best practice. It's the normal practice. One of the things you said that really stood out to me is that if you're a facility worker, you know, or you're perhaps blue collar. So you're not, you know, in the C-suite or you're somewhere else in the labor pool. It doesn't mean that you deserve any less light or any any less of a optimal office environment or working environment than anyone else. And that right there, if we just think from that lens is truly game changing when you think about the impact on people's health. So let me go there. You know, you focus a lot in your work on lighting. But you also focus on the, you know, the mental and physical well-being of personnel, of persons as it result, as it, you know, relates to all the different things that come into a built environment. So there's lighting, there's um, there's the the, um, comfort of the room, it's the the visuals of the room, it's the audio of the room. So when you think about all those layers to it, how do we begin to make these monumental mini movements? Does it start at the C-level? Can can individuals within the organization be a part of the conversation? How do we get more and more people so that there's more of a groundswell to change? I have a story um, for you. I am among 
my very, very eclectic background. I've got a degree in lighting design. And I um, I completed that from um, a, a leading university in Stockholm. And it was a very um, unique experience. Their approach there was, if you can learn it in a book, you can do it in your own time. We're going to teach you the things that you can't learn in a book. So um, if, you know, as design students probably know, if you've done design, the, the hardest parts or the most stressful days in your design school are the days that you are presenting this project that you've worked on night and day for critique. So you're like, you've worked for weeks, you've done all the work, you've done all your research and you present this, you're, it's a vulnerable moment, you present this and the job of the people who are sitting on the other side of the table is to tear it down. And I know now I know that it is their job because I've done several design critiques and the professors literally tell me like, you need to provide like hard feedback. This is the only chance that they get, but it's terrifying as a student because you're showing this work and you're getting feedback. So this uh, particular project was a lobby in this gorgeous building that was being revamped. And we thought we had a really great solution for it, which was to hang lights, a very beautiful pendant from, a, I think, a, a three-story ceiling. So the lobby was really high, um, I would say about um, 30 feet or so, and to hang a pendant that would light up the whole place, if you can visualize that. Um, so we're presenting this. We're very proud of the drawings that we have done and the presentation. Everything's gorgeous. And then we sit there and our um, our professor looks at us and says, mm, yeah, I don't think this works for the people. And we're like, how, why? I mean, it's got the right light levels. It's gorgeous. Like uh, the architects are going to be happy. The people are going to be happy. There is like nothing to harm them. We're like, but it works for like these people. The, it works for the practitioners. It works for the people inside. He's like, no, you didn't think about who's going to maintain it. What are the safety considerations for those who are going to maintain it? How are they going to get up there? Have you yeah. thought about that? And it was such a simple question. Mm. You know, it's something that should have occurred to me. It's something that should have occurred to us because we thought of all the people that touch it, like it's human centered, et cetera. But we did not think of this one simple thing, which is very important. It's done regularly, usually done by the same people. And it is, and these people are probably doing several, several of those, several of similar um, solutions through their day or through their um, through their weeks. And it's such a simple thing that if everybody who designed places like this thought about would make their lives easier, would make their jobs safer, and at the same time, would would it would not harm the people who are being impacted. So it's not like, you know, just because I would change how the light was installed, the, the people in the building would get lesser light or less quality of light. Absolutely. So it was that one question, I think that really mm. changed the trajectory of my career because I none of us had an answer to that. We we're just sitting there silent and we we're like, we did not think about that. And he's like, you need to go back, think about it and come back. And it was, it's such a simple thing. And I think when we do our work, no matter what it is, I think everybody, everybody is doing work that impacts other people. So when you're thinking about it, how does this how does what you're doing impact all the people that touch it? 
And if you are a product designer or a furniture designer, how is it being manufactured? You know, what are the safety considerations there? If you are a lighting designer, it's how how are people installing things? How are people maintaining things? How is it impacting the people in the space? Um, if you're an architect, similar. If you are working um, to establish in workplace well-being policies, mm-hmm. it's a similar question. Um, if you are um, in facility management, you need to think about what are the cleaners that you're recommending. Yes, the place would be very clean, but what is the impact on the people who are using the cleaners? Um, how are they getting, how are they using the cleaners? Do they have the equipment that they need? Do they have the right ladders? Do they have the right gloves, you know, sanitary equipment, etc.? I think all of us have that responsibility and that power to make people's lives better and to and to influence how people um how people feel safe doing their work yeah i i that is so layered in so many different ways because i think sometimes as we approach i was speaking to another guest not too long ago and sometimes when we approach new um ideas or innovation it's all from an idea perspective but there's no thought to the end point right and working backwards from there and i always like to as we work as an organization on our team, always think about, you know, the end user in mind, but also think about the end game and work backwards from there. And I think that's what you were describing so beautifully is that at the end of the day, the person who has to clean this, if you're putting that person at risk, or if it's not improving or helping or supporting their well-being, then this is not a great solution. So I think that really dovetails well into this whole conversation around human-centric design, right? You hear Mm -hmm. that term all the time. We have a very varied audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's entrepreneurs, there's business owners, there's, you know, decision makers to who impact talent in an organization. There could be people from the, from the um, uh, construction field or building development field. But when you think about human-centered design from your lens, Gayathri, I'm so curious, how can we begin to, or how can you help our listeners begin to frame that. So it's in a way that it provides simplicity, right? It's not a, this huge complicated construct that may have people give up before they even get started. So can you share a little bit of that from your perspective? Sure. Um, I think partly the answer is to the question that you asked earlier that I did not answer correctly. I think a lot of the solution lies in the education and how how people are, um, you know, taught, educated, experience different topics. Um, But coming to your question about human-centered design or human-centric design, if you know me well, you know that I don't like these buzzwords. I don't like these phrases. I think they're thrown around too much. There's one thing and then it has a season and then there's something else and that has a different season. That's Um, how I feel about well-being. Everything is (laughs) well-being. We're so well-being, financial well-being, fit well-being. Oh my God. It's too much. So I'm totally with you on that, girlfriend. 25 years in the game, stop it with the well-being. Everything is not well-being, people. Yes. what it is, yeah. Yes. Um, So human-centered design, I think, has been used for literally everything. And I think that's, it's great. It's great to bring that, that perspective. I think we need to be putting humans at the center of, anything that we do. So I really like the phrase for what it is. Um, But to me, it is, um, I think there are two ways to go about it. The first is 
putting that lens that I mentioned earlier, how does this impact all the people that are um, that are using whatever you're creating? So, um, you know, the, not only the not only the users, the people who are implementing it as well. So, you know, anybody who's touching it. But the second piece, I think, is very often asking those people. So, just you know, have either a charrette or go down to um, um, go down to your building and ask the facility management folks if you're cl- making a cleaning plan. How? What are their pain points? How can you make their lives better? And what can you do to make make their work more efficient? In that way, you're not only helping the people; you're also helping the organization because you're asking them what can you do to make your life, our life, or your your life more efficient. So the the two main ways. There, it's very to me. It's very simple, but both it's critical that both are done right at the beginning, uh, and it makes the entire thing much more simple. Is to think about who touches what you're creating and talk to the people who touch what you're creating. And once you do that, you'll have the perspective, you'll have what you need, and it'll make your life much easier because you're not going to have to look at research papers or read through what other projects have done. Like it's just going to reduce the amount of time that you need to spend on it. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's really simple if you, if, if it's done at the beginning of the project. I think that's incredibly valuable for our listeners that sometimes when it comes to a new program or you know, you're going to try out a new ideation or you're going to 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 make a new um, vertical, whatever it is. Even when we're talking about what we're talking about today, which is the built environment. Think about, again, the questions that you need to ask. Start with that. So often, and I'm sure you've seen this too, you know, you'll go into an organization that says we need help with X. And they are already offering, they already have a 10, 10 different ways or 20 different ways of offerings of the way they're approaching the solution. And you ask the question, well, how did you come up with these? Well, so-and-so thought it was a great idea. So-and-so didn't talk to anybody. <laughs> they haven't asked, they haven't sent out any questionnaires. They haven't done any certain, so-and-so just, you know, I was one, um, I was one, I was online the other night mm-hmm. and I saw this thing and I thought, you know, why not? I heard on this podcast. So you've spent $50,000 on this solution mm-hmm. that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. 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 And you wonder why budgets are slashed. Okay, let me get mm-hmm. off of that. That's a whole nother. <laughs> I can get on a whole nother 10. You wonder why your budgets get slashed. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, I, I heard a really interesting way of um, describing culture recently. I don't remember who the gentleman was, so I can't attribute it to him on this podcast. Um, He said, the culture is the product for your people. And you need to use product design principles, design thinking when you create culture or workplace well-being practices, which means that you need to be talking to your people, be comfortable with iterating it when something's out out of date, and be comfortable with taking feedback so what you said there, you know, $50,000 on something that is the product for your people, that is that is what is attracting, retaining uh, people in your organization. Just talk to people, like you said. So it could be a survey. Um, it could be an anonymous survey, but anonymous surveys, as you probably know in your line of work, are treated with suspicion. Like nobody really believes they're anonymous. So it could be just a conversation. but it needs to be done in a way that make people feel comfortable saying what they're uncomfortable with. Um, very often that lies, that responsibility lies with the direct manager 
of the people. So that level of training needs to be done. But you need to be comfortable or organizations need to be comfortable saying, okay, this did not work. We did not see adoption for this one thing. We're going to try again. And we're going to try again. And we're going to try again. And the trying again, it's not because, you know, uh, folks have changed their minds five times. It could be because the organization has gone through the great resignation and now they're dealing with a completely new subset of people. So it's it really makes sense to treat the culture like the product for your people because it's going to pay for itself over and over and over again. I totally agree with you. I think that uh, you you hit on something really important, which is, you know, I like to use the, the word co-creation. Yeah. Think about how we can do this together. Who are the stakeholders that need to be involved in the conversation? What's of, of interest or important to them? Going back to your very first, the very first thing that you shared with us about the end user or that facilities manager or that person's going to be cleaning that particular um, device or, or, or piece of equipment. Always think about who else needs to be at that table and how can we create co-create this model together. So let's kind of dovetail into next steps. We, we know that you are coming off of a huge um, responsibility as the former vice president of standard development at IWBI. You touched thousands, probably millions of lives in the work that you did, Gayathri, in, in helping organizations, developers, property owners, and even you know just corporations look at their built environment. You really helped change the game in terms of the well-certified standard. So I know you're being very modest, but I can champion for you. You did an amazing job. Um, again, one woman of color, but one of the women sitting at the helm of that organization and seeing all the changes that have happened over the last couple of years. What are you looking forward to most in 2023 as you turn the page in terms of the work that you've been doing or a new lens that you're looking at? Um, firstly, Fran, you're very kind. And I think we need to give a shout out to the amazing people at IWBI and my ex-team, Standard Development Team, who I have no doubt is the best team in the world, not biased at all. But uh, <laughs> shout out to you all if you're listening. But um, what am I doing next? I think I'm getting ready for a season of exploration. I think there are a lot of things that don't work in how we're working right now. I think there is a huge gap in how the research and technology is being transferred or translated to people who are on the ground applying it. And I think that there is a lack of um, collaboration, like you said, between people who are impacted and multiple people working on the same thing. Is the architect talking to um, the the interior designer, that's a simple thing. That's very often not happening, but even the HR person or the head of people operations, right? So um, really looking to explore how I can bridge these gaps that I'm seeing in the industry, really looking to provide support to um, in the form of information to people who can use that to make decisions that are good for their people. And, um, and I think... Um, in in a more on a more lighter note, I'm thinking I'm looking at failing. I'm looking forward to failing a lot more. So I mentioned earlier I joined the ceramics class 
and I go in, you know, newly unemployed. I go in, start the ceramic school, and I'm terrible at it. I'm like so bad at it. I'm like, really? Like, seriously? Um, so yeah, like, I'm looking for. I remember ceramic class with my mom back in the day. I went in to make a bear and it came out looking like a mug, like a coffee. Oh mug. my I'm God. Like, well, you got a mug. Yeah. I'm yet to stomach any of them stand. They're just like, go flat. Yes. Um, and, and if you haven't experimented ceramics and you feel like you need, um, somebody or something to humble you I highly recommend taking a pottery class but um, I'm looking forward to experimenting and um, doing what I can to bridge these gaps um, that I see in the industry I think there's also a gap in terms of um, what we deem as culture and we are seeing impacts of that we are seeing quiet quitting we are seeing I think mass um, rebellion by Gen Z. I love that generation. And we are seeing um, people quitting their jobs, even in a, in a season of um, mass layoffs. So we are seeing the impacts of that already. So how, you know, and all these organizations very often have great leadership. They have great workplace well-being policies. So what's missing, right? You look on Glassdoor, you look on their LinkedIn, they have like the best solutions um, for workplace well-being. So what's missing? There is something missing there. So I'm looking forward to exploring that. I'm looking forward to using science and research, just like I did at IWBI, to help solve these problems. Yeah, I think you've identified a huge gap. There is a gap between the solutions and what people are really willing to use right? The people are, it's just, there's not enough understanding of what's missing and not enough conversation about that. So if you can find that inflection point, I'm here for it. <laughs> I think that's phenomenal. I think that's phenomenal. What do you think the, the biggest opportunity? So, you know, you, you mentioned something a little bit earlier about people who are already in this environment or in this industry. But I'm, you know, I honestly think there's probably a, a lot of listeners coming at this conversation from lots of different places. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest opportunity you think um, exists for someone as they assess their own environment? We have a lot of people working from home these days, right? You look at your own environment. Now, you have a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing background. I dare say that's probably your home uh, where you're in, and that's your home office. But for some people, that's not the case. So is there a low-hanging fruit, if you will, in terms of uh, change that you can make uh, in your own space or in your own place or your own workplace, if you will, when it comes to changing this and, and really trying to support your own mental and, and physical well-being? I think there are um, several things that you can do that are within your circles of influence. Um, at home, I would recommend simple thing, just could keep books, stack books so that your laptop is at eye level. And it doesn't matter what the books look like. It doesn't matter what boxes you're using. Just make sure your laptop is at high eye level because that'll help you sit up more straight. Make sure that your, um, that your space is, um, um, I would say, at a right angle. Your desk or your screen is at a right angle to windows so you don't have glare. Try to sit in a quiet place. And very often that's not possible. So find a playlist that you like that calms you down and plug that in. And more important than anything else that you do to your workplace is to not be at your workplace forever. So take 
breaks. I think that is the most important thing. Take breaks. You don't have to stretch, drink a glass of water. If you haven't drank water that day, you know, you don't have to do anything, but just don't look at your phone. Don't look at the notifications. Don't look at your email. Even if you just sit and stare at the wall, if you have to, but just take a break. And I think that's, if you're doing one thing, if you're just taking a break, and if you want to be like a high achiever, you can go out for go out for a walk in the sunshine. That can help with a lot of things, sleep, stress levels, et cetera, um, during your break. But otherwise, just taking 15-minute breaks every couple of hours can do wonders for your mental health. It can do wonders for your body. And it will help you come back and be more productive, which means that you can end your day at the time that you promised yourself you would end your day when you started at 9 a.m. or whenever you did. Those are beautiful tips. I love that. So she helped you with flexibility, the, how you're sitting in terms of your structure at your desk, make sure you're getting up and moving around a lot. And one thing I love that you mentioned um, that I read last year, which was really interesting, I think it was through IWBI, was the importance of being in green spaces. So mm-hmm. make sure that you're getting out. And I don't know if you believe, if you, if this is really true, but one of the quotes, and I don't think this is IWBI, it might've been somebody else, Guy out 3 but it said that even if you have a green uh, screensaver on your computer and you can't get out of your office, that it can still be just as effective to your mental health. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Um, A green screensaver, um, something, I would say something that evokes memories for you of a nicer, of a holiday, for example, you went somewhere that had a great garden, take a picture, put that as your screensaver, put that as your background. Um, that can make a huge difference. Of course, biophilia is very important, which is what we call a fancy word for uh, putting plants all around you. Um, If you don't have a green thumb, that's fine. Just go out and take a walk where you can see trees, touch a tree. Sounds a little wishy-washy, but it works. Um, (laughs) And um, let yourself connect with something that's bigger um, than yourself. I think that's what biophilia originally kind of starts from. Um, And we know from research, years and years and decades of research, that being able to connect with something that's bigger than yourself is so important to well-being. It's actually one of the core core tenets to well-being and one that's often overlooked. So, you know, buy that plant that you've been looking at. Taking care of plants is not that hard, but if you don't want to, you know, put that screensaver on of your favorite pictures from your holiday, take that walk. And I think it's a very, very quick, very immediate impact. So um, thanks for bringing that up. That's a great point. You know, biophilia is my favorite of all the well concepts. It is? (laughs) Yeah, biophilia. Even though I come from the fitness world and the wellness world, biophilia is my favorite. And when I discovered it, and I don't, you know, I, this is one of the questions I have for you too. When I discovered that biophilia was such an important impact on the built environment, then I went crazy, right? So I started like researching the green walls and adding more green. I kill everything. I'll, I'll put it out there to the mirror. I put it, I kill it. Anything I try to grow, I can And I say, I'm not going to kill it. I'm going to buy a plant and not kill it. And I'm happy to say that I purchased a bamboo little plant from Costco three years ago during COVID and she's still alive. Oh my God, she's a strong pandemic plant. Yes, she is. And those are the best kind of plants. I'm t- to live with me. But she's she's a survivor. <laughs> she is incredibly strong. But I think because I made an intention to keep this plant alive, because once I learned about 
the impact that, you know, that how they clean the air, how they, you know, add more uh, texture to your life. So many things biophilia does having nature around. It was amazing. So that's my favorite concept. What's your favorite? I'm, I'm so curious. Well, I wrote the light concept. So I'm going to say I'm I'm uh, I'm biased to that but I there are so many wonderful features in the well building standard I think it's hard to pick one um I think my favorite has to be the fruits and vegetables uh, feature in nourishment, which says that you need to have fruits and vegetables um, that are outside and displayed that people can see at all times. And it's such a um, great feature because it uses something that's so effective because what it's essentially saying is don't display candy, keep apples outside, right? So, yep. you know, the first day you're going to be annoyed because I experienced this at IWBI's you know, new office. First day, you're like, where is my sugar rush? You're like, fine, I'll go get it myself. I'll go to the 7-Eleven around. <laughs> but the second day, you're like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to go for a while. I'm not, I'm not doing this apple thing. I don't like apples. I'm not doing this. The third day, you're seeing people having apples and then you're like, huh, maybe it's not so bad. And then the fourth day you have it and you're like, oh, this is a great, idea for a wake up you know apples have some you know they wake you up and at the same time it provides that little bit of energy that you need and it just becomes habit and that habit can you know it would make me think about how I'm displaying fruits and vegetables at home and that can impact people's families so you're like okay I start having apples and I'm going to buy fruits for my family and I'm going to keep it outside because that worked for me in the office let me try and get my kids to have apples so it's such a like it's such a subtle feature it's so almost sneaky in the way that it, it has impact but I think it's so clever and it is using science you know behavioral science it's using um physiological research it's it's really yeah putting together a lot of research for such a simple requirement that I think can change lives because if you reduce your sugar intake, you know, there's nothing like it. No. And that's a natural sugar. There's over a thousand different types of apples, people. So if you don't <laughs> like the, the, the kind you see at your grocery store, there are many others to try. And it's so interesting. That reminds me of one of my first clients when I started Aerobodies in 97, not to date myself, I try to look young, but it's a hard, it's a, it's, it it's a great work, work. <laughs> it's work, but it's interesting. One of the biggest challenges she had when I was training her, and I, she will rena- remain nameless, is that she, her idea of eating a salad was lettuce and peas. And I said, you know what, girlfriend, if we're going to lose these 40 pounds, you're going to have to find other vegetables that you like to put in that salad. So through the, to your point, Gaia, through, to, through the power of suggestion, I said, when you go to, and back then, you know, the, the whole, um, that's when, um, what do you call them? Uh, what do you call it? salad bars were huge, right? In the grocery mm-hmm, stores now mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, people won't mm-hmm, touch them. Mm-hmm. But before the salad bars were huge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when you go to the salad bar, just look around at all the colors, pick a color yeah. and try it. Just pick yeah. a color and try it. And through the power of suggestion, now it took her a couple of months, but she was willing to try it. So to your point, that is a powerful feature because it's physiological. It's, it's mental. It's, Psychological, it's so many different. It's emotional. Some people have a lot of emotions wrapped up in food, but just yeah. by trying something new and it being there, you're willing to try it, taste it. And before you know it, now you're having it. So now, do you yeah. have an apple a day? I'm curious now, do you have an apple a day? 
I don't have an apple a day, but I do have a banana a day. <laughs> so I I try and have all the um I think I I'm drawn towards tropical fruits because I'm Indian. So the the tropical fruit, whatever tropical fruit of the season, right now it's persimmons, um, is usually my go-to. But when you when you spoke about the impacts of putting fruits outside, there's one thing that I think we um we should definitely share. It's how beautiful fruits look. I mean, it can serve as your biophilia, but also brighten up a room, a bowl of fruit. So it's something, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to make your place look better and at the same time help uh, folks become healthier. Oh my goodness. Yes. So obviously I could talk to you all day, which means you have to come back for an episode number two. (laughs) I would love to have this fabulous conversation. I'm so curious. So you are a world traveler, as you have mentioned before. You are now you have moved to the West Coast. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. That's Thank phenomenal. Um, but I know you've traveled all over the world and you've seen lots of different places and spaces, particularly around those countries that are getting it right and those countries that are still working on it. I'm so curious if you could share from your perspective. So I recently had the opportunity to go to the UAE and mm-hmm. discover Dubai, which was mm-hmm. If you haven't gone, you need to try it. It's it's Memorable. like the future on steroids. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty wild, right? But then Portugal, you know, some of the mm-hmm. Spain where they just go crazy when it comes to biophilia and the, you know, the green trestle tresses, you know, from the mm-hmm. hotels and different things like that. What do you see, especially as an expert in the field, when you travel around the world, countries that are getting it right that we could learn from? Is there anything that stands out to you from in your travels that you're like, wow, you know, if we could start to do more of that here in the States, it could make a a huge impact on health. Multiple things come to mind, but I think the one thing is um, the prioritization of work or rather where work falls in the priority list. Mm. In In the US, your work is your identity. Like it, when you go into a party, it's what do you do, right? It's not where did you go? Are you planning a trip or what did you read? Or, you know, I like your outfit, whatever. It is, what do you do? What's your name? What do you do? Um, in other places, it's usually what's your name? Where Did you go anywhere over the weekend? What's your name? You know, it's, it's did you read an interesting book? It's rarely what do you do? It's that's it's a very very simple and subtle change, but it represents how people kind of hold their work in terms of priority in their minds. I don't think it means that people are less productive there. I just means mean that I just think that they are more comfortable closing their laptops at the end of the day and focusing on whatever it is that is outside of work, their family, it could be their hobbies. It could be just taking a nap and watching it or watching Emily in Paris, whatever it is, they're comfortable disconnecting from work. And I think that's fundamentally that difference can go a long way. So in Spain, you know, they, they take siestas or they, 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 they take naps, they have dinner late. You know, there's different habitual cultural differences between each, um, each, each of these places. But one thing that's in common is where work lies in their list of priorities. I'm going to drop the mic on that one. <laughs> I'm going to let you drop the mic on that one. I there yeah, so that maybe that's episode 2. I think you are I was reading this book 
middle of the year last year on, I think it was Norway. So here's the biggest takeaway. In in Europe, to your point, Gayathri, there's such a non-focus on work that when people work overtime, it's yeah. almost like the 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 paradox or or the 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 exact polar opposite to how we view overtime. Whereas here, when people are still working, you know, after hours, and you leave, you you look at them, you're like, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You, you do your thing, yeah. whatever. But in in some parts of Europe, Norway being one, people look at you like, what's what's wrong? Yeah, some problems, yeah. You're having some breakdowns, and that is again, you're that's a huge juxtaposition to how we live life here but at the same time look at the you know the the heart disease and mm-hmm. high blood pressure and kidney disease and just so many illnesses high cholesterol you name it that are connected to overworking and really not taking good care of ourselves yeah i can i add one more point i i don't think it's just europe i think it's in india i have no idea what my relatives do for a living i honestly don't know cuz it's never come up in my conversations i'm like my uncle works in an office and that's it. And I'm like, you know, high time, old enough to know how, what my uncle does for a living. So it's, it's, you leave work at work. You know that some people have important jobs because they don't make it important. I'm going to put that in quotes, um, jobs because they may not make it for a family event. They're traveling, but family is put first in India and it's, you, you show up, you turn up. And it's, it's, I think it doesn't mean again, people are less productive. It just means that work lies somewhere below family. Um, It's, it, it, there isn't a perfect solution or a perfect culture, but I think the difference that we are seeing in terms of health and rates of burnout, honestly, is um, where we are placing work in the large scale of all the things that we are in our lives where work comes to be in our identity and who we are. Thank you for adding that caveat. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Indian culture and how much fun they have, go watch a Bollywood movie this weekend on Netflix (laughs) and you will see change your life. Oh my God. Absolutely do that. (laughs) (laughs) But change your life. Gayathri, I, I don't even know what to say. This has been fantastic. I definitely want you to come back. I can't wait to see what, Again, with this new year is going to unfold for you. I know it's going to be epic. I know it's going to be amazing. I I, I know you're going to be out there slaying it on the West Coast. Oh, fingers and crossed. I can't wait to see what comes next. So I'm going to keep the door open for our next conversation. Thank you. I cannot. I would love to be uh, back and I would love to continue chatting. Um, so let's absolutely do that. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I love the way that you're all the things that you're bringing together. And I cannot wait to see where this podcast go, uh, goes. I'm going to be sharing it with all my friends and family. So thank you for the Optimized Workplace podcast. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And for all of our listeners that joined us today, remember, it's monumental mini movements that make the biggest change. Thank you for being with us. I'm Fran Bishop, your host for The Optimized Workplace. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.